Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the short-term show special episode series on Branson, Missouri, where we are doing a 10-episode deep dive on how to buy a short-term rental in Branson. So we've got a few supplemental materials for y'all in addition to the content on this podcast over on our website. So any questions you have about purchase prices and searching properties, you can do that on our website. We also have the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA, income data uh, on properties in Branson. So you can find these things at theshorttermshop.com. So www.theshorttermshop.com purchase prices and income data. If you want to buy a short-term rental property with a short-term shop agent in Branson, you can email us at agents at the shop.com. Or if you just like us, you just want to hang out with us more. There's a few ways you can do that. And join our Facebook group. It's the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. We're over there talking about short-term rental investing all day, every day. Or if you prefer to talk to us in person or virtual person, you can join our Zoom call that we have every Thursday. You can sign up for that at strquestions.com. We'll catch you guys over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another Branson episode of the Short Term Show special episode series. Today, we are going to talk about building your buying team. So we're going to talk about all the people that you need from start to finish to get your short-term rental in Branson purchased and off the ground and managed. So got a great cast of characters here today. Uh, first, we have Siobhan Cooney. Siobhan, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Sure. I'm Siobhan. Um, I've been a short-term shopper since way before COVID when Avery was a team of one. I bought my first uh, cabin in Pigeon Forge. Um, I also currently own in Broken Bow, and I will be closing soon in Kimberling City outside of Branson. Siobhan keeps buying in markets before we get to them. That's, <laughs> she that's correct. <laughs> yeah, she's always one step ahead of us opening in those markets. So and I keep right. trying to also, <laughs> I was going to say I bought and sold in Scottsdale before you got there. Oh, yeah. So that's three. Yeah. Yep. And I keep trying to hire her, but she keeps saying no. So <laughs> uh, next we got Josh Bynum. Josh, how's it going? Introduce yourself. Very good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here. I um, started my journey in short-term rentals right about this time last year and closed on my first condo in Branson on August the 5th. All right. Awesome. And Bill, we know who you are, but go ahead and introduce yourself. My name's Bill. I am a real estate agent here in Branson, Missouri. I have a background. You have in, to think about that for a minute. Yeah, I did. I was like, <laughs> I keep getting thrown off by my own alliteration. Buy with Bill Beck and Branson, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. it's kind of corny. So <laughs> just background in home buying consulting for vacation rentals. Um, pick Branson because this is one of the top markets. And yeah, I helped Josh get his place. So excited to be here. Awesome. Yes. All right. So let's talk about who you need to find to help you buy one of these things and who you need to find first. So it's actually kind of arguable which of these two vendors you will need first, an agent or a lender. You're kind of kind of need to find them at the same time. Um, but the main thing you need to remember about both of those people is you need to hire someone who does the type of deal in the asset class that you're buying in, in the market that you want to buy in often. So you don't want to hire somebody who 
lives in St. Louis, but is trying to sell you a house in Branson. Um, you want to hire a local Branson agent. Um, sometimes your agent will, then an agent isn't really going to want to talk to you until you have a pre-approval. Um, sometimes it's, I think personally, the best way to go about it is to go to an agent before you have a pre-approval and say, Hey, I'm interested in this market. I don't have one yet. I'm happy to use whatever lenders you recommend for me to go get one because why Bill, why do you need to, uh, use a lender that the agent has probably worked with often? Well, definitely, if you haven't listened to that lending episode, I don't know in the chronological order because that I get pretty fired up about. Uh, <laughs> we have non-mortable condos here. Every single conversation I have with every buyer, it's like, okay, first, you need to be aware of zoning. Secondly, because all these communities are going to be owned by people that have vacation rentals, it triggers a non-warrantable situation, which isn't a problem because that's the inventory that people are booking here. But do not bring your own lender to town and be like, yeah, he said it's fine because it's probably not fine. <laughs> so, so just, just trust me on this. Cause like the, the amount of triggered I get is intense. And yeah. I've, you do get very triggered by. <laughs> well, it's, it's from being in like, like the worst types of situations where it's like your heart feels like it's going to explode because you're like, I don't know what the heck is going to happen. Cause we're past our lending contingency. This is supposed to be closing today and the bank's not giving the money because they're like holding everyone hostage. It's like, that shouldn't be like part of the deal. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you want to use a lender that does, maybe they don't have to be like hyper local, but they do have to be a lender. Again, that does the type of property that you're buying in, in that market often. And I think a lot of people, especially new investors can get a little turned off uh, by one by using or by wanting to use the lender suggested by agents because I think that some people think that somehow we're getting kickbacks or we're like you know just trying to get our friend business and a that's not legal and it's not really worth anybody's license and livelihood to do and b it's really not that it's that we if we have worked with an eight with a lender excuse me a bunch of times and we know they're going to get you to the finish line and get you closed and not have you have these horrible problems and surprises right at you know 3 or 4 days before closing like oh crap it's it is non-warrantable after all and we thought we could do it but we can't there it's protecting you as a buyer and your earnest money by making sure that we're getting you connected with a lender who can do it now of course you want to shop and make sure that you're getting the best uh, you know, the best rates, the best deal, best products. Um, but you that only kind of goes so far with certain asset classes. Like a lot of the big national lenders, like I guess I don't want to name any names, but like Quicken Loans, uh, you're going to get as you're shopping for loans and looking at houses and like Zillow and Realtor.com, you're going to start getting a lot of targeted ads from those big companies. And those guys are, you know, they're taking primary home buyer leads all, all day. And I've gone down this road before too, when I was when I was a newer investor and I was like, oh man, this, I got this targeted ad from this huge company and these, these rates are way better. And they told me it would work for investment. And then, you know, we get down the line and it doesn't. So again, doesn't have to be absolutely local, but it, at the very least you want a lender who has done a lot of those types of deals before. Same thing with your agent. So what are some questions that you want to ask an agent when you find one and you're when you're shopping for an agent to buy a short-term rental. Yeah. So I would say in my case, um, linking this back to the, to the previous conversation. So I found my agent first, I actually found bill off of a 
bigger pockets for him. Um, and whenever I contacted him, I, I knew right off the bat he was really knowledgeable in the area number one so are they you know how what kind of questions can you ask to get a good feel on how they are in the community um and then second one was hey what are the lenders that are are in the area and how do they do portfolio loans are they accustomed to doing this and so my connection to the lender actually came from Bill, but it was a multiple, you know, he he said, hey, here's two or three that uh, you may want to check out. And so I I kind of did the homework um, after getting the, the connection from the lender. But I think it's super important um, to have an agent who really knows the market, um, is connected so that you can leverage that network um, locally, whether it's a lender um, or even getting insurance, uh, whatever that may be, you can uh, really work through the the network of the lender in the in the in the area. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I think it's also important when you're getting recommendations. So whether it's bigger pockets forums or there's a ton of like huge Facebook groups geared towards short-term rentals now, that when you're getting recommendations for agents or lenders, make sure that when someone recommends someone you clarify if they've ever actually done a transaction with them, if they've ever actually used that person. Because what we see now is a lot of people, they're called fan clubs and you pay to get in them. Uh, I see it mostly with real estate agents. I don't know about lenders yet because I'm not as in that world. But uh, you pay to get in them and then everybody shares referral fees. So what happens is there's a bunch of people in this group. And anytime somebody asks for a recommendation in a market that one of their members is in, they just completely flood the feed with recommendations for that member. Half the time that member is not even like I see it all the time with people who are like buying something in the Smokies and they're getting recommendations for agents like in Nashville or Cookville or Johnson City or places that are not there. And there's like a ton of recommendations. And it's because of those fan clubs, which I think a lot of people don't know those exist. So just anytime you're taking a recommendation, really for anything or anybody in any business, make sure that that person has used the person that they're recommending before. Um, but once maybe you've gotten a few recommendations and you're talking to these agents and or lenders, I, there are a lot of just realist, general real estate investing podcasts from way back that say, you know, the, the first agent that answers the phone is the one who gets my deal. Well, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I, I think that that's kind of bad advice in any asset class of real estate investing. Like if you want to buy a 25 unit apartment building and I'm the first one that answers the phone, you are totally screwed because I don't know how to do that. Like that's not what I do. I sell single family <laughs> short-term rentals. So um, the first person who answers the phone, all that means is that is the person who happened to be holding their phone when you called. So um, make sure that you're asking some questions like, hey, how many deals did you do last year? Uh, I like to see a busy agent. And the reason for that is I call, we'll call them busy agents. And then I call the other kind Aunt Susie agents. Everybody has an Aunt Susie who does real estate and she's been in it for 20 years or, you know, an Uncle Ricky or whoever. And they maybe do three or four deals a year. So the reason that's a problem when it comes to buying investment properties is the last couple of years are a really good example of this. Two years ago, you had to offer $100,000 over asking on everything because there were a thousand buyers on every property. So an Aunt Susie agent who hadn't done many deals that year might not realize that. And you might be going around, say she's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, let's offer 20,000 under asking and see what happens. Happens. You're not getting any deals because Aunt Susie hasn't been 
uh, doesn't have her finger on the pulse of the market really because she hasn't been in it doing deals monthly, weekly, and really understanding what's going on. Conversely, now, if Aunt Susie did a few deals in 2021 and knew how crazy it was, come now, you don't have to make $100,000 offers over asking anymore. So what can happen is somebody who did four or five deals in 2021, did maybe two or three last year, and now they're like, okay, yeah, we got to go in super hard. The market's really crazy. And now you're offering way too much when you don't have to because they just don't have enough experience over time. And they're not doing it often enough to really have like that good pulse on the market. So I like to see a busy agent. I don't want you to answer the phone every time I call you. I want to make sure that you're like, actually that you're, you're doing deals other than mine. I don't, I don't ever want to be anybody's only client. Yeah, um, if they're the first, if they're the first one to answer your phone, they may not be, they may not be busy enough. <laughs> or, you know, just the stars aligned that they happen yeah. to be <laughs> right there. Um, and then I also want to ask, okay, of how many deals did you do last year of those X amount of deals? How many of those were primary homes versus short-term rentals? Because especially in markets where there's like Branson, where there's regulations and zonings that you have to worry about. If you're, if you have an agent who sells mostly primary homes, they might not be familiar with the zonings and, and what needs to happen in order for you to be able to short-term rent it. And you could end up with, you know, a problem on your hands. So uh, do you guys have anything to add to that? Anything to add to questions to ask agents? Yeah. You know, the other I, piece similar to the the zoning piece, especially when you think about cash flow that can really play a a big role is the the COA or the POA or the HOA or whatever that may be. And I know that whenever I was um, working with Bill, he had a really good idea by neighborhood of what those condos would be would be charging. So it would help it helped me with my numbers just as I was going around and, and looking at properties to have that. Cause that, you know, it can range significantly based off of amenities or or whatever that may be. And and so that's a that's a big piece that um I was really thankful the agent had that uh that information. Siobhan, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I was just gonna say that I think that agents who are also investors tend to look at the transactions differently. So they are more attuned to the numbers. Um, and they're also, you know, if they own or they manage or some combination of both, um, if they've been doing this for at least a couple of years locally, then they're probably pretty good estimating what the property is going to bring in. And I think that that's also really important because, you know, as margins get tighter, 10 or $20,000 in either direction can really, um, make a difference. Um, I do agree being well connected is very important, especially when you're starting off in a new market. If you already have something in that market and you have your team already in place and that's different. But if it's a brand new market, you don't live there, you know, having people that you can call for maintenance, cleaning, et cetera, um, is really, really helpful. And that is, you know, something that your agent should be providing if they're an investor friendly agent. Yeah. And kind of to your point about agents who are investors, I tend to avoid agents. I, I look at everybody's social media. I'm a total stalker. And there are some things that when I'm looking at agent social media that I avoid, I don't like people who say, call me for all your all your buying and selling, like all your real estate needs. I don't want that. I want a specialist. I don't want you to do uh, jack of all trades is a master of none. I want somebody who focuses on this specifically. Um, another one that I don't like is I don't, and this one is like hyper specific and maybe I'm crazy. I don't like to see agents posting pending deals that are not closed. Like don't call attention to my deal, period. <laughs> 
it's not closed yet. It, it's not mine until it's closed. Uh, I don't love that. And then I also don't like, I don't want to see anybody who's acting like super aggressive. And you can see that on social media too, when people are like, I'm a bulldog, I'm a fighter. I fight for my clients. And that's not actually what gets gets you anywhere for your clients. You know, what gets us the, you get more bees with honey, just like I tell my four-year-old, she says that, she quotes that to people. You you can get more for your client in a deal by saying like, hey, you know, we're not trying to be difficult here, but the numbers really just kind of stop working at this point. Um, buyer's not trying to be difficult. They totally understand that you need to make X amount. What can we do here to meet, like to get everybody what they need or as close to a deal as we can, rather than like coming in and busting heads right out of the gate. That doesn't get anybody anywhere. You're going to get your client more by being nice and by having a good relationship with the other agents. So I don't really like to see that either. Um, but you know, since I'm an agent, I'm, I'm way too specific. (laughs) (laughs) I think my personal style is I like to be almost like an encyclopedia of knowledge. I'm just kind of a intellectual person by nature. So I like to go, if people want to go down rabbit holes of like intricacies on things, like I'm happy to do that probably can be a crutch in terms of like actually doing all the sales volume and crushing call volume. But at the same time, it's like, I have so much quality. I try to spend with everyone that I have on the phone with me that if we need to go 45 minutes to an hour, like, Hey, sometimes that's what we need to do to give them the information they need to feel comfortable. And I I do. Yeah. I own a investment short-term rental. And when I was looking for, I want people that know what the sub asset class is all about. Right. Like someone who's a specialist, that was huge. Like when I first got my license, it was like the first you know, couple months, it's like, here, we'll give you leads. And I was taking people who were looking for trailers to live here. And I'm like, I'm not really like sure I'm the right guy. Like I don't, a, and I, I, I've definitely shown a couple trailers. You know, you walk through, you're like, this is great. Yeah. I, I, I don't really know what to say here. Cause this is not really what I'm familiar with. I don't have, uh, you know, just a, a bunch of high volume, um, low budget friendly real estate primary residences that I've done. I mean, I've done, I did 50 deals last year and one was a primary because I'd helped sell that guy's vacation rental. I was like, Hey, why don't you sell my house? Cause I'm moving out of state too. I'm like, sweet. But yeah, so totally agree on all fronts. One last thing that I want to bring up. And again, I'm way too persnickety, but I don't love, I'm not saying you should never, but I don't love agents who are also property managers because I feel like the potential of them being able to get my business in terms of managing my property gives the, it doesn't necessarily have to happen, but it presents an opportunity for a conflict of interest. So, you know, if I'm buying a really badass property, of course you want to manage it. But if I'm looking at two deals and I need some, some guidance and you're kind of thinking about it in terms of, well, maybe she'll let me manage it at some point. And I don't really have cleaners that go over to that side of town, but my cleaners handle this side of town. Like it just kind of, I'm not saying that people can't be property managers, but it just can kind of present an opportunity that I, for a conflict of interest that I don't want to be there. So I don't love that. I'm not saying you, because property managers are going to have knowledge about what things will make, but I just personally, that's not my favorite is what I'll say about that. Um, But Back to lending. I think anything else to add on agents? I think we beat that horse to death. It's a terrible saying. I got to find something else to say. Um, Okay. So back to lenders. We, again, 
you could totally get those. There are, is there a Branson specific Facebook group, Bill? Mm, there's a couple. Uh, Ozark that. Mountain Vacation. <laughs> uh, there's, there's Branson. Yeah, there's a couple out there. Okay. So, you know, maybe you're in one of those Facebook groups and you're saying, hey, I need a local lender. I'm planning to buy something. Again, you're asking those people, did this person do your loan? Um, anything else we need to ask lenders, Bill? So uh, people are going to, they're going to listen to this and they're still going to find the Quicken Loans of the world. And Quicken Loans is going to say, well, let me just try it. That's like the famous last words of non-warrantable condos is, well, let us just try. And then- That's so funny you say that. It's so true. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, what we think, we think we can do it. Let, yeah. We'll check. We'll get with underwriting. It's always like someone else's fault because they can't do it. But anyway- um, so, that, yeah, that is something I'm perfectly fine. Throw me on the phone. I say, who is your person? I will talk to them and I'm going to get it right out front. Like, let's like, let's just, let's just throw it out there. Is this going to work or not? And these are non-warnable. And what do you think? And like, Ooh, when they do that, that's like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to tell them that you're not going to work. <laughs> that is what, exactly what they do. Oh, Ooh, Ooh, non Ooh. And you're like, mm-hmm. nailed it. Told them. All right. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> 30 seconds done. All right. So we've we've got our agent. We've got our lender. The next person we're going to need is a home inspector. How do we find them? Home inspector. Oh. We do not, as agents, ever want to recommend one person just for liability purposes. This is something we have an active list that we uh, curate over time. So we don't want the inspectors that do. This is like a spectrum. So I'm going to give generally three options because any more than that can be just too much. But on the spectrum, you've got skies falling. You're buying a piece of trash. Everything doesn't work. You're going to need to spend probably $3 million to fix this place. Like those types of inspectors, which <laughs> knock it down, the deal up. killers. And then you got on the opposite <laughs> side, the place is great. Nothing's wrong. You're like, are you sure? Cause I walked through there and I saw like, the deadbolt didn't kind of like work real well. And like, there were like cracks, but you didn't say anything. So I'm kind of in this awkward position. So I have over time paired off those uh, tails, so to speak. And I've got, I got a nice group of people that, you know, Hey, they're going to do an accurate job, fairly assess the property, not make it feel like you're buying something that's, that's uh, about to explode and something that, um, it's just a fair, you know, good. I mean, we found situations where it's like, yeah, it's got a lot of problems. It's I wouldn't buy it, you know. So that's that's what I do. Yeah, and I I think too, you know, as we were talking about kind of building the network that you have within there. So I think the way that I did it was I had gotten some recommendations from Bill, who was my agent. I had gotten some recommendations from the lender that I had chosen, and then I actually got some recommendations from the insurance uh, group that I was going with. And when I found the one person that was on everybody's list, I was like, okay, obviously this person has a great reputation um, and and then selected the inspector there. So there's, there's a, I think, a, a few different areas uh, in being able to, to select the inspector. Yeah. And one thing that I want to make sure everybody does is it's really easy to say, oh, Bill, whoever you normally use, just schedule them. Don't do that. You need to call and vet and interview and hire your own inspectors and make sure that you understand what's covered in a home inspection in this market because it can be it can vary from market to market. Uh, if there are any other ancillary inspections that they recommend you have done, and just make sure that you like the person that you can communicate. I mean, God, one time I had a the worst experience with a surveyor 
because I just had to take whoever was free. I was trying to close something in like two weeks and everybody was three months backed up and this one was available clearly for a reason. And they got it done really fast, but then they were like completely hideous when I needed like, hey, you didn't sign this or there's not, uh, can we have the CAD file? We need the CAD file, not just a PDF. So um, I did not call and vet them first. I just scheduled it because they were available. But had I done that, I wouldn't have had to have it resurveyed later for another several thousand dollars because this guy was a dick. So always call and vet them up front. Anybody, we're talking about home inspectors now, but um, make sure that you guys get along and that you communicate in the same way and that you everybody understands what's going on. But the worst thing you can do is just say to your agent, just schedule whoever because things can get really blurry if something's missed and then whose fault is that? So always call think, them and vet them yourself. I think too, that's a good point, especially whenever, um, depending on the season and the market, uh, like for myself, I was closing right during peak season over the summer. I'm looking to try and get an inspector in July. Um, and so it was hard for me to find a day in which the, the condo wasn't rented in order to be able to get an inspector in there. And then you got to match it up to the inspector's calendar. But I do believe it's worth waiting to get the right inspector rather than just finding somebody that's available on the time on the time or day where you've got an exchange happening and somebody can get in there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I <clears throat> Yeah, I was going to say I would agree with that. I mean, I think that the inspector, you know, if you don't find a good one, they're either going to find things that aren't really there or they're going to miss something that they should have found. Um, so I do agree. It's 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 good to get a good person um, with a solid reputation. The other thing I just wanted to say is, you know, um, as you buy more properties and most people, once they buy one short term rental and see what happens, um, we'll try to be buying another, I think. <laughs> uh, but I think that the inspectors are really good sources of information because I know that, you know, me personally, as I've bought more properties over time, I've learned a lot more about the way houses work. So I think that, you know, if you are able to attend the inspection and you read the report, if you can't, you know, if you can't be there, just read the report and definitely ask questions um, because over time, you will want to know those things about the way that the septic works and the gutters and, you know, the fire pit is too close to the house and all of that stuff. Um, you don't want to be a newbie forever. And I think the inspector, if they're a good communicator, is a really good um, source of information for all of that. Yeah, really, really good point. And a lot of people don't. Uh, is it customary? It's customary in some markets for agents to attend inspections is customary and others for them to like not be welcome at inspections period. What is it in Bransonville? I hardly ever go. Um, mm -hmm. I encourage them if they are able to come and do it and visit, they're happy to do it. Uh, I don't want any, I really, frankly, just don't want to get in their way. Cause I know yeah. they want to efficiently go through their thing. And if I'm just like hovering, like, Hey, it's like, okay, what's this bald dude hanging around behind me? Like doing, like... <laughs> so I, I, I generally do not go unless someone specifically asks, please, can you go with, um, which I've only had once or twice. So it's, it's atypical to do that. Okay. Yeah. I should, I should clarify my, my previous comment here. Um, don't distract the inspector. So yeah. let them do let them do their inspection. Um, you can be there, but don't follow them around asking questions. It's horribly distracting. And that's probably a really good way for them to miss something that they would have otherwise realized about the property. Totally. So anyway. <laughs> All right. Anything else about inspectors before we move on to insurance? 
Yes. No. Okay. So oh, actually, I'll just say that I, you know, of the few inspectors I select, it's like people are like, which one's the best? And it's like, I can't tell you because they're all pretty much good enough to be on par with each other. So, you know, I know you said don't go with the cheapest one, but I mean, factor that in how much they cost and then also factor in availability. As Josh mentioned, like we'll have times a year where it's like, we've got like two slots in the next two weeks. So whoever can make it work, like that's probably what you're gonna have to work with. So, yeah. Um. All right. Enough on inspectors. Let's move on to insurance. So in some markets, insurance is like a huge deal. It's very expensive in like coastal markets and you have to shop and shop and shop and find somebody who will do it. How difficult is it? Like, is the insurance piece a big piece of the puzzle here, Bill, or is it pretty easy generally? Because I know everything's condos. So a lot of times you're only having to insure what's inside the property. Tell me about insurance. Yeah. Um, recommend Agents that are familiar with how to write a policy that would include short-term rental coverage here locally. So um, there aren't a ton of options. And then, you know, proper is kind of the national brand for like the Cadillac of insurance coverage for short-term rentals. So obviously for the price, you know, you're getting a lot of coverage with them. Um, but yeah, walls in policy for a condo. I mean, it could be really, really like, like astonishingly cheap. I mean, we're talking like 600, 500, $600 a year. Um, Josh, what's your policy? 800. 800. Okay. Yep. So it's, it's not going to be breaking the bank. Whoops. On mute. 800 a month or 800 a year? A year. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> right? Holy uh, shit. Ching. <laughs> Everyone gets fixated about these HOA fees, but they're not like, oh, sick. My property taxes are $563 a year and my insurance is $800 a year. No one says that, but just throw that out. <laughs> Wow. Yep. Yeah. So guys, I've, I've said this on other episodes on the Branson podcast, but this is a really easy market to own in, in terms of just overhead and, uh, you know, things that you have to deal with. Like you're not really dealing with wells and septics or anything. And um, so very easy market to own in. Um, so how do we typically find insurance agents in this market? Or, I mean, I guess you could do the the usual Facebook groups, ask your agent, all that stuff. Uh, I would imagine though, you don't have to find anything terribly specialized. So it could really be anybody that does SDR insurance. Yeah. Anybody who asks me, I'll just give them a short list. So say, Hey, call up each of these and it's not going to be a huge like menu of options. So it's a pretty short list. Okay. Well, that's pretty easy. And um, let's see. So is Missouri a title state or an attorney state? We are a title state. Okay. And this is a part of the puzzle that kind of gets skipped over a lot of times about choosing title companies to close at, because typically the agents just use whoever they normally use. And if you want to use somebody else, you can, but it's kind of, I don't want to say it's inconsequential because that's not a good thing to say because it matters, but um, you know, title companies, typically we just use the one that we use all the time that we know, know their process and all that, but uh, what do you, what's the process for choosing a title company in Branson? Oh, good question. I mean, I honestly don't ask everyone every single time, like which title company they want to use. Frankly, it's just one of those things that they're all pretty similar as far as what they provide. Yeah. Um, it just kind of comes down to like speediness of getting a title commitment. Some of them will take like two weeks to get that title commitment. Others will take like a day. So it's like, well, that's nice to have it quicker. Um, it's the method by which you can t- you can do your earnest money. Some of them are like, 
you've got to wire us or mail us a check. Whereas others are like, you can, you can go to our website and do a online deposit. I generally think that's easier is better for, especially for title stuff. So um, if, if title fees are something that if someone really wants to get into saving a couple hundred bucks, like definitely call around to different title companies and see which one um, um, might give the best pricing. But at the end of the day too, it's like, I, I, you're right. Some agents, it's really interesting in our, our market that some agents actually have, you must write offers with this title company in order for us to, and that's as a listing agent, which I don't know if that's like breaking the rules, but like basically that we want you to use this, this closing company and title company to do a deal. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think sometimes sellers have title companies that they prefer hold it. So in some areas, it's common for one of the real estate brokerages to hold it. We don't hold earnest money at short-term shops. So we always have the title company hold it. So uh, like in some markets, it's title companies have been like, that's really weird. Like, why is one of the brokerages, why do you want to, we can hold it, but that's kind of weird. And in some markets, it's like, yeah, the title company always holds the earnest money. So um, I've always, when I started, I would always just ask the listing agent because I didn't, if I wasn't familiar with title companies, I'd say, who do you want us to use? And then I kind of started finding my own way of like, okay, well, they all seem to use this one. So I'll use this one. And then maybe that one is the communication's really slow. So I've tried another one. So for me, what's important in a, a title company is making it easy to do things and also communication. So I don't want it to be difficult to schedule a closing. I don't want it to be difficult to do remote closings because almost everybody closes remotely. Like if you guys can't schedule a mobile notary without blowing me up or, or the buyer, like maybe this is not the title company. You want somebody, they don't have to be terribly technologically savvy because a lot of title companies just aren't, but they do need to be able to just get a mobile notary to anybody uh, you know, within 24 hours, I think. so. A nuance here too is, okay, so Continental is a title company. They require a mobile notary for a um, remote closing, um, but like Great American Title and Meridian, they will actually, if you want, they can just FedEx you the documents and you can take it to any notary you want. And then sign everything and put it back in the mail with the FedEx overnight. So those are uh, kind of what's interesting because you'll get someone who's like, I don't want to pay for a mobile notary. What the heck? And you're like, sorry, that's, you know, that's what they do. They require it. Or other people are like, why, why am I not getting a mobile notary? Like, I thought that was always like part of the deal. And you're like, well, so that's why we put that out there is it's like, you just yeah. should ask that maybe if, if you care or if it doesn't matter, then it's not a big deal. <laughs> Yeah. I personally, when we're closing on stuff, because we close on all of our stuff that we buy remotely, we have a girl at the UPS store who we've got totally trained and gets it how how we do things. And we just have them email us the closing packet. We have them print it and she understands how we do everything. Like sometimes I'm going to come at 10 o'clock in the morning to sign and she's going to notarize me. And then Luke is going to come later because uh, we can't always be in the same place at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of just taking it to any UPS store and doing that. Um, but yeah, so mobile notaries, UPS stores, if you're closing remotely, anything else on title companies, they're kind of like, kind of just fly in the background. They're, they're right. keeping everything together. But like, as far as like issues during a transaction, I mean, usually title companies are not killing deals. Usually it's yeah. <laughs> lenders or inspectors or other things. They're just kind of, Hey, here, we're alerting you to a problem generally. Yeah. And then that, <laughs> this becomes a whole problem solving uh, equation you got to get through. So totally. All right. So I think that's pretty much everyone 
involved in the transaction to get it to closing. So let's talk about finding vendors. So cleaners and handy people. I recommend you really just need the cleaner and the handy person to start. And then you can kind of build everybody else out from there as you get going. Like you don't need to have every single potential person you would need lined up in order to go live on Airbnb. You just really need those two at first. So how do we find those two usually? I mean, I've got a master list I, I share with all my clients. I've just been building it over time. Um, I actually said that to, um, I think Luke's got it now. So yep. anybody that needs that, it's out there. It's uh, it's available. So, And again, same thing as everything else we've talked about, uh, either bigger pockets forums or pretty much now, Almost every market in the country has a short-term rental investor Facebook group specific to that market. So that's a great place to look. Uh, again, make sure that the person who's recommending has actually used that cleaner in the past or does use them. It can work a little funny though with this because sometimes like I will never, you will never catch me recommending my cleaner in any Facebook group because I don't want her getting too busy. I need her to have time for me. So there's a little bit of that going on. But a lot of people are like, maybe their cleaner is just starting and they really want to help them build their business because they're really great. Uh, so that'll be, I think, the best place to start what do you, other than just recommendations from your agent. I, I think the cleaners are probably the hardest part of the entire puzzle. Um, and sometimes you do go through a few of them, but I am a heavy user of the Facebook groups for both cleaners and maintenance. But I think that once you find one good person, um, and it might be the agent or it might not when you're building the team, they often know other people. So, you know, if I go to someone for maintenance and I'm like, hey, there's something going on with my hot tub, you know, they might be like, oh, I don't do that, but call this person. And 99% of the time that will work out really well. So, um, I think use the network of the people who you already know. Um, sometimes it's the agent, sometimes, you know, other local owners, I feel like are a really good resource. Um, but the Facebook groups, yeah, I think over the past few years have become um, really, really helpful to the local markets. Um, and people do get reputations on there for either being good or not so good at cleaning and maintenance. You're muted, Avery. I'm stuck on mute. I keep doing that today. So, um, <laughs> I see you anyway. talking, but there's no sound. <laughs> I like my my desk is right in front of a window that's got a road in front of it. So I always try to stay on mute in case any loud trucks go by and then I forget <laughs> to turn it off. So uh, what kind of questions do you ask cleaners? Because uh, I think some people especially new people will say like, I want one cleaner. I don't want a company. I want them to be the same person every time. And that's just not typically going to work guys. So don't do that. Um, but what questions do you like to ask to make sure that they're going to be able to do the job efficiently? I mean, I always ask for referrals. I ask to speak to someone else who um, they are already working with. Um, and that person, you know, as far as I can tell, has always been really honest with me. I've gotten some really good um, feedback from people, you know, like this person's really good at this, maybe not so much this other thing. So just be on the lookout for this, you know, one particular thing, um, you know, the cell phone that doesn't always work, doesn't have good reception, um, <clears throat> stuff like that. I, I also ask, you know, if they have 
um, the Airbnb listings of the places that they clean because I like to see the comments and I like to see what sort of cleanliness scores they are getting. And if they are consistently um, doing well in cleanliness, then I feel like that's a good sign that it's probably a good cleaner because otherwise, you know, the owner is not making up for all of those mistakes. I mean, maybe some of them they are by refunding cleaning fees or whatever. But I do think that when there are consistent cleaning issues, it does start showing up in the reviews some way or somehow. That's genius. That actually hasn't occurred to me to go find the listings of the ones they clean and see if there's anything about that. Wow. That's a good tip. Uh, I'm surprised that Luke, I'm surprised Luke doesn't use that one. (laughs) He he met, well, we haven't hired, well, yes, we have. We have hired one cleaner in the past, like two years. We lost one in Florida. Um, But yeah, we've had our Smokies cleaner for like five years. Is he going to rip that off now? Be the enemy cleaner method? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Somebody told me one time, actually, um, I was in the elevator at the last Bigger Pockets conference, and he said, I don't know how like cool this is to do. It's a little bit slimy. But what I do is I get on Venmo and like search my friends and my, so if they know any investors that are in that market in their phone and they start looking at who people are paying and snag their cleaners that way. <laughs> Set all of your transactions to private. There's yeah. no reason that needs to be out there publicly. Can I get a drug dealer? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oops. Yeah. They're definitely calling the wrong person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drug dealers, prostitutes. Yeah. Don't know until you text them. Gambling, debt, all sorts of fun. I like it though. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing with handyman. Typically I've always found my cleaner first and they happen to know a handyman because a lot of times they're in there at the same time because they're, they have to do everything in between guests. So they'll have some recommendations. Uh, What do you guys, do you guys have anything specific that you ask handyman? We really don't. We just throw them a job one time. And if they do it well and in a timely manner, then they stay on the list. And if not, then we don't call them again. Absolutely that. Yeah, I do that. Just, hey, throw you a job, see how you do. And then if it's good, we can keep you. If it's not good or um, I, I had a guy that was just too chatty. He a uh, nice guy, but it was like we would get into story mode and it was like, dude, like I'm like looking at my watch, like you got to pick up on like social cues here. Like I got it. I got it. Chop, chop. We got to go. Got to go. Like knock us out. Love you, man. But like. I don't have 45 minutes to talk about just stuff. Like, sorry, man. (laughs) Yep. I think Um, it's really important, you know, for maintenance, um, for them to understand that we're in the hospitality business, then that means that responsiveness is a key part of the job. So if they can't do it, if they can or can't do it, it doesn't matter. They need to respond fairly quickly because if they can't do it, you have to move on to someone else. And this is especially true if something needs to be fixed while the guest is still in there and you can't just wait for a turnover in a day or two. Um, Because again, it does come back to reflect in the review. So they have to understand that part of it. The other thing I really like about maintenance people, and it took me a while to realize this, but my favorite ones I think are good at anticipating issues before they start. So whether I'm hiring them for preventative maintenance to come in like quarterly or monthly, whatever, or not just to sort of check on the place and look for a loose doorknob and I don't know, you know, with the nail sticking out on the deck or something. Um, the ones that go in are kind of like, you know, hey, I noticed this other thing about your place and I just wanted you to know. And, you know, when they are all 
so a set of eyes on the property, maybe not for that specific reason that you sent them, but also for something else. I find that really helpful. And then I feel like, you know, if they're looking out for my best interest, then I'm more likely to call them. Um, They're going to be top of my list the next time I need somebody. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good point that like, they don't just go in and do the bare minimum. If there's anything else that they see like, hey, I think you might want to check this out. That's super helpful and really valuable. Mm -hmm. So also another, another hot, hot tip from Siobhan. (laughs) Do you give tips too? If they like, you know, if it's a first time and I want to like, Hey, thanks for your job. I'll give them a little tip just to be like thankful. Cause like it literally helped pay back. Cause like I had him do another job for an actual real estate transaction on the side and he missed something. And I was like, Hey man, you didn't, you didn't do this. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'll go get it. You know, knocked it out and didn't charge me. So I was like, just throwing that out there. Yeah. I mean, with it being a lot of condos, like you're not going to need, there's actually probably not that many things you're going to necessarily need a handyman for because the HOA is going to take care of all the exterior stuff. So again, another reason why it's just really easy to own in Branson. Um, Well, if nobody has anything else that we feel like the listeners might need to hear about, nope, going once, going twice. All right, cool guys. Well, uh, if you guys are interested in buying a house with Bill or condo with Bill, excuse me, a non-warrantable condo, uh, <laughs> you can hit us up <laughs> at agents at the shop.com to get connected. Or if you just feel like, hey, you know, I just want to lurk and, and learn a little bit, you can lurk away in our Facebook group called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Or if you want to ask us questions, we have a live Zoom Q&A every Thursday, and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Thanks, y'all.